right, guys? So I'm going to put it out there. Anyone here actually holding anything through this ER? <laughs> I'm curious to know how you guys, if you're trading it, how you're trading it. I want to know who's who's holding. Let's hear it. I know a lot of the folks that are speaking today are, you know, longtime Tesla investors for sure. So I, I know we've got at least, you know, three or four of these panelists that are heavily invested in the stock itself. Hey, Ross, how's it going? Glad to get you up here. I'm good. I, why would anybody sell Tesla stock? I mean, that would be dumb. Well, really curious I mean, to see how things go. Is it not hot enough for people? Is, is, is there not enough fires in the world? Are there not enough signs? What's the ignorant governments of the world as they put their heads in the sand and pretend like it's not going to happen and the storms won't come and the fires won't come? It's, the, it's, it's literally there's Bible stories about this stupid ignorance of our governments of the world while they let us all die while they profit off $100 oil. So this is the backdrop that makes Tesla the most attractive company in the world because it is the absolute only scalable company in the EV business. And they're about to double production. And the demand for EV cars has never been greater worldwide. I have never seen anything like it. This is like the year or two after the iPhone came out and the phone actually worked finally. And everybody had to get an iPhone. Everybody wants to get an electric vehicle. And if it's not a Tesla, they're going to buy another electric vehicle. So this is, we've entered, like, this was the best thing that could have happened to Tesla with having oil prices spike and having consumers eating crow with inflation while we send our money to Putin. And, you know, like, this, this Saudi guy, MBS, like, I think Americans are ready for electric vehicles, and this was what it took. On that note, my man, jumping right into it. Real quick, since we got most of our folks here, I just want to kind of give some introductions. Feel free to say a word or two about yourself as well after the intros. More than happy to hear what you got to say. More than happy to hear what you're working on now. Uh, and since Russ had you up in front and center, baby, let's start with you. Russ is a co-founder and president and CEO of Gerber Kawasaki Wealth and Investment Management. I think the last I saw, I think around $2.2 billion in investments. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, I manage the GK fund on the New York Stock Exchange, uh, where Tesla is our top holding, along with many other great technology, clean energy investments, and uh, consumer discretionary type investments. So, you know, we're really, really poised to take advantage of this massive growth in the EV business in our fund. So about 25 percent of our assets are now invested in clean energy. But most importantly, I have become an absolute, you know, just radical when it comes to the need for a solution for climate, because I'm looking and watching my kids grow up and I just can't even imagine the world they're going to have when they're my age, if we don't do something now. So, so investing ESG is bullshit. We all learned that lesson, but my fund, if you invest in it or with my firm, you know, 25% of our money and growing is directed specifically at dealing with climate. And I think it's the greatest opportunity as well for uh, innovation and growth of your investments. So that's what I do. Beautiful. Thank you. I'm just going to keep moving right down the list of our panelists here. Feel free to add, just like Ross did, anything you're working on, what you got going on now. We'll get through these and then get going. Homar's blog. Everybody knows Homar's blog as well. You have, obviously, an incredible blog. You're one of the most Tesla investors on the Internet. Uh, you wrote that whole Mars.net slash about. 
you can find a lot written there by you. And you're actually constantly written about in external articles as well. Is there anything you're working on and want to plug while we're up here? No, just excited for today's earnings. But you two behind us. Perfect. Thanks for being here, man. Next up, K10, Kirsten, Tasmanian writer. You're extremely prolific there, and you're an advocate shareholder. I saw that you had shared some things about, you know, verifying oneself as the shareholder. Is there anything that you want to add before we get started? Just excited to keep on seeing Tesla grow. Um, and I'm pretty big on the environment and the companies that are pro-green. Beautiful. Thank you. Next up, Joey. Joey Clender, Teslarati journalist. You write a lot of great pieces on like autopilot and Tesla software. Uh, is there anything that you're working on right now that you want to plug before we get started? First off, I just want to say it's a real honor to be talking with all of you. And um, it's just incredible that you invited me on here. So I just am humbled by that. Um, I really appreciate all the, the compliments about my work. I work really hard and I try to just be as fair as possible. But after all, Tesla is the leader in this sector. That is very obvious, in my opinion, and I've been a fan of theirs for a long time. And I'm excited to see all the growth from all these other automakers and just the sector in general. But I'm looking forward to this call. I'm looking forward to see to seeing how um, you know Tesla did in the second quarter. But I'm really excited to see how resilient this company is moving forward because the rest of the year is going to be pretty incredible to see how they rebound from this from the Shanghai shutdown. So I'm just really excited for everything that's going to come out in this call and subsequent calls for the rest of the year. So I'm just happy I'm here. But um, in terms of working on any, anything, um, I'm just doing what I do every day, man, which is trying to spread the word about how great EVs are and how great this company is and how great some other companies that are upcoming are. Um, that's that. Thanks a lot, man. Yes, sir, man. Thanks for being here. And last but not least on the panelist list, Jason DeBolt, renowned as the, the all-in investor since 2013, retired software homie. Are you still all-in Tesla, my man? Yeah, I haven't sold a single share. Um, uh, well, not since 2018 from uh, margin calls. But uh, <laughs> other than that, I haven't, you know, I've been sitting tight, uh, kind of living off of a low-cost, you know, low-interest rate margin loan, just chilling here in uh, Hollywood Hills, enjoying life, traveling, Um and uh, yeah, looking forward to the earnings report today. And Q3 and Q4 are going to be amazing. Uh, thanks so much for inviting me to this call. I'm, I'm super stoked about being on the panel and, and uh, hearing what everyone else has to say. So thanks again. And, uh, and uh, looking forward to it. And then, of course, we've got our man, Investor Trades. He's going to be here to talk a little bit about some price action as well. Uh, for Sawyer, needs no introduction. One of the first things for all things Tesla. Plug anything you want, my man, as well. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll plug my sustainable clothing company launching soon, twinbirch.com. You can uh, sign up there for email updates. Thanks for having me. Beautiful. Thanks for being here, man. This is going to be a really great discussion and great panel. Uh, and, you know, since we've got our intros out of the way, let's jump right into it. I'm going to share something to the space here. It's a visual. For those of you listening in or watching graphics on the Twitch, you'll be able to see it there as well. I pull it up right after this. But I just kind of want to open this right up to the whole panel. For data analysts, there's expectation that Tesla generated quarter two 2022 revenues of $17.09 billion. For the second quarter of 21, they reported 11.96 billion and one buck 45 cents in earnings per share. What are we expecting today here in about, you know, anywhere between 20 minutes and half an hour when earnings drop? What are we, what are we looking at here? 
Again, anybody feel free to jump in at any time. Well, this is an interesting quarter. Tesla's been growing at a breakneck pace, as many people have put it. You've seen quarter after quarter of sequential growth, even in quarters that are seasonally weak, where you would expect a sequential decline. They've been growing sequentially quarter after quarter after quarter. So it's been years before you've seen, uh, since you've seen a quarter like this one, where there's actually a sequential decline from Q1 to Q2 in unit deliveries. And so, you know, the media had a lot of fun with that. They said Tesla's having a decline. It's a disaster quarter. Of course, you know, they couldn't really avoid it with the Shanghai factory being shut down for a month due to the COVID lockdowns. But when you really look at the data, year over year, they're still up about 24% or something like that. So you have, you have year over year growth. Um, it's not surprising that naturally there would be year over growth in revenue and earnings as well. So I think it's funny that Tesla is just growing so fast that even disaster quarter where one of their two operational factories is shut down for a month, they're still growing at a pretty significant pace over the year ago quarter. And just to interject, the graphic that I shared here at the top, those of you listening in, those of you watching the graphics on the Twitch, is the Tesla earnings per share estimate versus their EPS actual since quarter two of 16. Kind of up until 2019, quarter two, there was a lot of general misses that happened. But the last four earnings reports have seemed to kind of shatter expectations out of the water. Would, would you be leaning more toward, you know, a beat or kind of those earlier 2010s misses that we were accustomed to seeing back then? You know, I, I think that, you know, I get all the institutional analyst stuff from, from Tesla, uh, institutional analysts, and there's like a lot of guys working on this. And then Martin sends me sort of the aggregate of it. And, you know, truthfully, you know, there's so many people working on these estimates, they can't be that off, you know, so they're expecting like a buck 80 or something. But when you compare it to a year ago, earnings are still going up a lot. And I think this silly sequential stuff is so it serves the media, but it doesn't serve investors. And you have to look a year ago where Tesla was and any way you look at it, Tesla will have grown deliveries by I think it was like 20%. And they will have grown their profits by a substantial amount over last year. So that's all that really matters. So we can try to find other ways to measure Tesla to make them look bad. But the truth of the matter is the company's doing phenomenally well and had the most adverse quarter they've had probably since 2018. And, and I think that they have done pretty good through it overall. And that's why I say it's a throwaway quarter. And I don't think people should be that focused on it. I think what we should be focused on is what's going to happen in China and are these lockdowns going to happen again? And my sources are saying it's not going to happen again. There was a big mistake for China to lock down. They've been doing it a much more measured way to try to control COVID. But the financial pain that the Chinese uh, economy felt from this lockdown was substantial and it put a lot of risk in the system uh, for their real estate, for example. And just in general, China is not in a good financial position. So we don't expect further lockdowns in places like Shanghai in the future that would affect production. And I think that would be the biggest risk for Tesla moving forward in all the numbers we have is if China shuts Shanghai again. And so so that's really the only thing I'm worried about. But as far as last quarter, it was just such a disaster. It's just like, who cares, you know? 
That actually brings a really good segue into a question that I'd like to open up to Raj or Joey or Jason, anyone on the panel that wants to talk about it. How are you feeling about, you know, expected production numbers, given that Chinese backdrop, the previous lockdowns and general unease in China? What What's your take on that? And for those of you listening, I am going to share up Tesla uh, production numbers here in a moment to the top as well. But feel free to comment. Raj, thanks for joining us, Omi. One of the biggest YouTube channels there are in this space. Curious your comments there on production. Thank you, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Sorry, I sound a little under the weather. I'm battling some nasty bug. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I think, you know, somebody else is saying it on here, too, is I'm not too concerned. You know, I think stuff happens, right? Like, this is not something that is at anyone's fault, Right. This is a, um, you know, a pandemic. This is something that we're going through and, and stuff like this will happen. Every, you know, every economy is, is kind of suffering from some arm of this. Right. Either the part shortages or delays and things like that. Prices going up, inflation. So it's hard to be like, oh, even if we see a decline in numbers like, oh, Tesla, you're to blame. It is what it is. Right. So you have to factor that into the equation that if that was the source of decline, OK, it's going to come right back once it opens back up, you know, and, and we're not even talking about, right. We've still got Austin and Berlin. Um, so the, the future that I see of, of production and numbers looks very bright in my eyes. I was going to say, Raj, I agree 110%. You know, I think the China, the China shutdown, like Ross said, I think that's going to be an anomaly, just one, one instance of that. And with Texas and Berlin, picking up the pace, ramping production. Fremont was 20% above capacity for a few, for a week. I think they had, you know, Elon said that they had their most productive week, um, you know, earlier in Q2. So, I mean, I think that Tesla, you know, it's obvious that Shanghai, excuse me, Shanghai and Fremont, you know, they're very crucial. You know, Shanghai especially accounted for a majority of deliveries last year. Um, but there's a lot of positives going into the second half of the year, including the fact that it's unlikely that China will shut back down. Berlin and Texas get stronger. Fremont continues to do its thing. I, I really think that the rest of the year is just going to show this company's resilience. Yeah, I, I would agree that people, I don't think, should get caught up too much in the Q2 noise. You know, In recent weeks, we've seen Berlin uh, sort of shut down for upgrades as well as Giga Shanghai. The Model Y line is already up and running again and at Shanghai. So we should see you know, production significantly increased the output that is, um, at least from around 17, 18,000 per week in Shanghai to now about 22,000 with these upgrades finished. And I think Berlin will increase about 50% to 1,500 a week if, you know, things go well. So I think the second half will certainly be much more bullish than the first half. And I think a lot of people should just move on from the Q2 noise. And, you know, Tesla is about to probably later this month, early August, produce its 3 millionth vehicle or deliver its 3 millionth vehicle, I should say. So, yeah, I'm really bullish on second thing here. Yeah, and I think just to add to that is that, you know, we can't keep chasing that number forever, right? Like at some point, we're going to max out. <laughs> you know, like production is going to, you know, normalize and kind of go steady. Um, and and we, we have to start looking at, at other things, right? As like Tesla as a company, what are they creating? The value of the product, right? The customer behavior and, you know, how much they like the product and so forth. So, you know, it, it's it's like it's it's like if you look at Apple right now, right? They're not going to every you know every quarter, every year 
ran out of the water with like astronomical numbers unless they're coming out with a new product. Um, so I think Tesla can do that, but I think cars is a different space, takes a little bit longer. And since we're still kind of on that topic and we're, you know, discussing the gigafactories of, you know, Shanghai, Texas, Berlin, uh, K10, I'm curious, how do you feel about the notion of Texas and Berlin kind of coming in to save China? I think it's excellent. Um, I think it's called for. I think Elon had projected that. The company already plans that. Um, the 4680 ramp up out of Berlin and Texas is what was predicted to happen. And I think um, we're just shaking off the end of this pandemic and different hangups like we had just stated in, in Shanghai. That was a hangup. I mean, obviously, a lot of manufacturing has seen that China can't be something that we can depend on exactly. So taking it back to Texas and to Berlin makes sense. And Jason, just kind of spinning off of that, does, you know, a long-term investor like you have any real concern about, you know, the potential for a recession to affect what's happening with the stocks overall? Does, does that sort of thing really change the larger delivery purview for Tesla? No, I think I'm, you know, if we zoom out, like none of this quarter-to-quarter stuff or even the short-term macro environment matters at all. Like if you go back maybe three or four years and, and um, listen to similar calls to what we're having now, where we're talking about quarter-to-quarter numbers, like we probably forgot most of what we were even talking about. Like it's just all of this stuff is like, you know, when you zoom out, you know, five, ten years from now, like this is all just noise. And there's always going to be some, you know, we, you know, last quarter we had some challenges with uh, Shanghai uh, shutdowns and uh, we have some Bitcoin impairment issues and like the restructuring, you know, laying off 10% of salaried workers. There's every quarter there's going to be some kind of noise, something that's going to set back Tesla a little bit, some quarters more than others. But um, I mean, Tesla finished, you know, June, I think with like 80,000 uh, Chinese made uh, Teslas, which is a pretty, pretty great. That's, that's, that's pretty significant. So that's actually really promising going into Q3. But I think for macro stuff, I, I don't really think about it that much. I think, um, I think like, you know, in a couple of years, none of this will really matter. And Tesla will eventually, uh, you know, it's going to, you know, the longer the base, the bigger the breakout. It's basically going to be, sure, it's been flat for the past year or so, but eventually reality will catch up to the stock price and, and uh, we're going to be, you know, yeah, people will just forget about these calls. Like, I mean, this is a great call, but like, we won't be thinking about these layoffs or Shanghai shutdown and all these things in a few years. It's, um, it's just, you know, it's all short. So just kind of, kind of, you know, run the waves as it were until, you know, the future is here. Yeah. Just thinking long-term, it's really easy to, as a retail investor to get very anxious um, for all these events and people maybe overthink it. Um, I've just been kind of checked out over the last few months and just living, like buying Tesla stock at $740 today is like going to be a, that's just, that's crazy. Like it's just, it doesn't make any sense right now. Like it's uh, way undervalued today um, when you zoom out like long-term. Fair enough, man. Thank you. Gergovin, thanks for joining us, my man. How are you feeling coming into earnings yeah, here? We got about seven funny. minutes before close. How are you feeling? I, I'm I'm not playing the earnings. So if you look at the option chain, the implied move is six point seven three percent. But the last day the earnings, Tesla only moved by four point two percent. So the implied move is way higher than the actual past move. So it doesn't seem worth it to play the earnings. And the flow makes too. 
If you look at Colin put volume, it's almost one-to-one. And even on Twitter, no one seems to be biased towards one direction. So the odds of this trade doesn't seem to be great. And the expected EPS is down to 183 from 230 just two months ago. So the expectations are down a lot. Even the revenue, uh, expected revenue is down from 18.8 billion just two months ago in May to uh, 16.8 billion. So, like some people are saying, oh, these analysts are not factoring in the China shutdown, but in reality, they are. Expected EPS is down 45%, expected revenue is down 23% in the last three months alone. So, and on top of this, Bitcoin is on track. Uh, the Bitcoin impairment charge will be around 450 million because in the Q2, Bitcoin was down 47%. And assuming a $1.2 billion Bitcoin position, that would put them around the 470, 480 million loss in the Q2. And based on the way that they are supposed to account for the loss, this will impact their earnings by around half a billion. Uh, Omar, or Spidey, do you guys know how much did they make last uh, quarter in the Q1? Let me double check the exact number one second. Net income was around three point three billion, I think. So basically, a twenty-five percent impact on the net income just from the Bitcoin holdings, and this is not factoring in the decline, right? So there's a good chance. Let me break this down by quarter. So there's a good chance the net income might actually be around two billion in this quarter. Would you agree with that, Omar Ross? Yeah, Taylor? that sounds about all right. I think. Um, yeah, you know that that would on. be beat. I think that would be beating at like two dollars a share and. If they do that, I'll fucking have a party. So, you know, that would be great. Yeah. So I'm looking at the expected uh, number from the analyst. I'm looking at 2.14 billion. So I think we all are in line with the expected number here. The expected revenue is 16.8. Expected gross profit is 4.13 billion. Expected adjusted EBITDA is 3.2. And net income is 2.14. And the EPS was 1.83 putting the free cash flow at $625 million for this quarter. Yeah, that's what uh, what Martin sent me from the average of all analysts was $1.78 for the quarter, non-GAAP, uh, $2 billion, a little over $2 billion in non-GAAP income, and free cash flow of like a billion one to a billion. So that actually brings me to my next question. And, and Ross, you can start this and then we'll head right into the panel. Is anybody at all here on the panel concerned about Tesla's free cash flow? In quarter one, Tesla reported a free cash flow of $2.2 billion, which was half a billion dollars lower than the previous quarter four. And they say they have the funds necessary to develop and continue building out production roadmap. Given that balance, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, Tesla, Tesla in theory, you know, could be investing. They have $18 billion in cash. So... So, like, they're in a great financial position, and they're able to self-fund themselves, which was always Elon's goal after the debt issues of 2018 and 19. And so so we don't care what free cash flow really is if they're investing it in growth, like in new gigafactories and such. So Tesla is not at a stage as a company that I'm looking for them to buy back stock and pay dividends. I want them to continue to invest. So, so free cash flow will be impacted by the investments that they're making, which are heavily, you know, cash intensive. But... You know, the real number that I think analysts want to see are what what the margins are in their operations, because that's really where the supply chain issues come in. 
But I would argue all this stuff is kind of minutia. It's like, you know, it's like counting up, you know, how many leaves are on a tree. You know, what really matters is the tree is growing and the tree is growing really, really well. And, and the demand for the products and services is off the charts. And so I think the most important thing for Tesla's success moving forward is really Elon's focus, as well as uh, the, I would say, the continued and hopefully uh, release of full self-driving. I, I think that's a, a huge thing for Tesla. So one question that I have. Uh, is kind of on the topic of AI. Sawyer, I'm curious, you you have a lot of knowledge in that realm as well. Uh, how are you feeling about forward-looking plans for AI with Tesla? I, I would definitely wouldn't say I have a lot of knowledge. I would say Omar was more in that realm. Um, but I don't know if like Ford has really shown much evidence to suggest. They're, I mean, I would even argue Cruise is just way better off than Ford. I, don't, I forget how many miles that Ford's like Blue Cruise works. I think it's like a few hundred thousand miles in the u.s but you know tesla's system works on millions of miles so yeah i'm definitely more bullish towards like tesla and gm but omar maybe you can dive a little bit deeper than i can yeah i mean um i think tesla doing really amazing things with ai like to make a long story short their cars can understand what's happening around them and they can understand what's happening around them well enough to drive the car and do entire drives in some cases under human supervision. It's not, you know, that good to be driverless. But for example, they're now pricing insurance based on this. So they're able to undercut some of the insurance companies because Geico just says, hey, this is a, you know, 22-year-old, a 22-year-old male, and statistics say they crash more frequently so therefore, we have to price your insurance at, you know, $300 a month or something. And Tesla can actually say, well, we have a computer vision system in the car. And we can actually look at how you're actually driving, not how statistics say 22-year-old males drive, but how you actually drive. And you're actually keeping a big gap between cars. You're not making aggressive turns. We can see from the way you're driving that you're driving safely. So we're going to price your insurance based on that. Or another example, if it, you know, sees that you're about to hit something, it'll adjust the seatbelt pretensioner and adjust other settings. They're using this all throughout their product. And there's really everybody and their mom is working on AI or self-driving cars. But the difference between Tesla and everybody else is Tesla has millions of customers. Everyone else is kind of at the lab stage. Tesla has a profitable business that'll generate a billion dollars selling FSD packages and autopilot packages and FSD subscriptions to existing Tesla cars. The other guys have no business model. As a matter of fact, they're burning a billion dollars a year or more. And in this environment, you're going to see a lot of consolidation, a lot of people folding, and a lot of people who just have trouble surviving through the end of this. So that actually opens me up to a perfect segue to a question I wanted to direct toward Joey, K10, and Raj specifically. Uh, how do we feel about Tesla being a software slash AI company first and a car company second? As you all know, Elon's previously said that, you know, Tesla itself is a car company, excuse me, is an AI company, not a car company. Is that fully true here? Would you agree with that? I would say to an extent, I mean, 
yeah, they sell cars, they sell energy products. But I think I think Omar kind of hit it on, you know, the nail on the head. This company is so focused on on being the first to solve autonomous driving and the business model for how those programs can fund future projects for the company is just something that I think is a huge advantage for them. Obviously, I think they are a car company, but I think they are a lot of different things. I think that more than anything, obviously, if you wanted to put them under one umbrella or one category, they're a tech company. But I mean, it's hard to call them just a car company. I think when people call it a car company, I'm just like, do you realize all the other things that they do? And they do them all very well. K-10, do you agree with that? Yeah, I'd have to say that um, with Elon stating that it is a, that it is an AI company, I mean, AI is the future. I don't think people realized how much they wanted. Um, I mean, AI is in our life. It's everywhere. It's affecting us whether we want it to not. And people are driving these old vehicles that, I mean, they, they aren't based off AI. And other companies, I think, like like Omar had stated, are, are trying to catch up. They're still in the lab phase. And Tesla is way ahead. They're not only solving autonomy just for the cars they're they're creating this dojo ai that's going to be leading the future elsewhere besides just with auto vehicles and since we're on that you know that line of talk of the ai specifically uh jason i wanted to ask you since you recently talked about it how did you feel about andre Kaparthi leaving um yeah i'd say that i've tweeted about this a little bit um i would be concerned if you left like two or three guys 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 the numbers are out there Tesla took second quarter revenue 16.9 billion. Ooh. Market wanted 16.88, so they beat on revenue. Still waiting for EPS. It's not out yet. I'm just waiting on Bloomberg to post it out. Revenue yeah, um... 16.9 compared to 16.88 expected. Yeah, I, I also I, I got to jump on Bloomberg for a minute, and then I'm going to jump back on this call. But but um, it's amazing. We got 3,000 people. Tesla people on this call. It's so cool to see such a great guys. EPS massive beat six point two point two seven. Expected was nice. Yeah, boy. Wow. Yes, that's great. How, Hello, Dolly. How's the stock after check for me? I'll check stock after hours now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hold on. It's got to be up though. I mean, that's a big number. Oh, we just blew up some headphones today, folks. All right, it's up seven bucks after hours right now. And so around four, around what percentage? One percent? It's not really trade. Okay, now up 11 after hours. 2.27, okay. That's a great number because I thought two would be like a really, really good number, you know? Yeah, 2.27, so a massive beat. I mean, even in this quarter, they somehow managed to be on their expected number i'm not sure how did they count for bitcoin and this so that should be interesting i still don't see the free cash flow number and tesla just said tesla still sees 50 percent average and nice in deliveries of vehicles all right i'm up 20 dollars I mean, after hours i mean it is kind that- of shocking like how a company the size of tesla is still growing at 50 percent year over year it's incredible it's a, these are incredible numbers i mean how did they beat with such a big margin it has to be the model l s and x that they got back on track because they had 18 or nineteen thousand of them absolutely wild ross will be yeah. over on the bloomberg quick he said he's going to be talking yeah, about no, the unusual no, whales yeah, tesla yeah. space 
Ross, just go to CN. Up. CN will have all the numbers, or they even have a top live. So just go to DLIV on Bloomberg. No, I they have. Uh, yeah. Don't worry. Tesla doing great here. 772. Oh, okay. Guys, guys, guys. Tesla sold three fourth of their Bitcoin into fiat in the last. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this, this is how they save their earnings, I would say. Gary's That's fucking worth it. so happy. Gary's going to be so happy. <laughs> this is breaking news. Breaking news, my bad. So that, I mean, that leads us to the question, of course, did you, did anybody on the panel expect these numbers? I, I don't think mm-hmm. so. I, I don't think anyone expected them to sell their Bitcoin holdings. Did Did you guys? No, I didn't expect that either. That's surprising. Yeah, that's pretty surprising. Yeah. yeah, it's that's the pressure from institutional investors for sure. Tesla says three, there was Bitcoin impairment to, to keep profitable. We already expected that though, right? Okay, so Tesla added 936 million cash to the balance sheet in the last quarter. So I would assume free cash flows around that number, but I still don't see that number for now. Wild. I'm glad we got that hype, though. Let's go. Yeah, man. Great push here. If we can stay above 767, this thing is going 790. I love this. So I guess since we're on there, what do you guys think this means moving forward? They're setting a precedent with this. I Obviously, they blew the numbers out of the park compared to expectations. How are we feeling moving forward? What do they do next? I think Jason, honest, how are you feeling about those numbers? Yeah, these are these are shocking. Like, this is like I'm still reading the report, and this is like way, yeah. Like, these, these numbers are, I mean, the fact that they sold Bitcoin, too, is pretty incredible. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I'm still processing this. I mean, I, I don't. <laughs> I'm just like, this is exciting. This is a good day. Good day for Tesla investors. Joey, baby, how you feeling? I'm feeling great. I mean, like I, I keep saying the word, but this company is nothing but resilient. This is a very, it's just mind boggling. I mean, I'm not a financial expert by any stretch of the word, but I mean, just based on how this company just knocks expectations out of the park quarter after quarter, it seems it's just incredible. Raj, my, any comments on that? Dude, I, I think I just want to hear everyone happy, man. <laughs> I think I'm, I, I think I'm still picking my job off the ground. Um, um exactly what Joe. Said. I don't expect them to slow, but every quarter to still be amazed is like, is awesome. Like these guys just continued, and I think going back to what you were talking about before, you know, numbers were announced is like, you know, their diversification of the company. Um, you know, it's, it's easy for a lot of people to say they're a car company because that's what you see most. That's what most people, even someone who's not in the game, you see a Tesla. If you live in the Bay area, you see a Tesla every like minute. So that's what you associate. Tesla makes cars, but for a company to truly be successful, you got to diversify and see what else you can make and do because they're in so many spaces. That's how they're able to do this, right? It's just, they're just going to keep driving. It's amazing. So earlier there was a comment about how potentially this particular earnings may not have been super playable in the options world. Um, Could do, you know, I know there's talk of a lot of people playing straddles over earnings, but investor, especially now knowing what we know, I guess hindsight will cause it to be a little biased with these numbers. But would you agree that, you know, prior to the drop, we were looking at a relatively unplayable earnings or how did you feel about that investor? You know, it's this one. This one was tough because you have so much eyes on it. You have flow that's pretty much break even. 
going into it, I think a lot of people were either straddling or just staying safe on this one. Um, but I mean, those people with shares, you know, the trigger over the 750 number would have given you nice profits into the 730. The main thing here for me is if we get close to that 770, 790 tomorrow, this thing is gone, man. It's got room to push towards those 800 numbers. We'll see how the call comes out. We'll see if this holds up tomorrow. But that 790 trigger is going to be that bear flag reversal, and you're going to get a lot of people fomoing and getting involved in this thing to push it back up in the short term towards that 850, 875 area. But again, you know, I love my dip buy back when it was at like 610. So <laughs> I'm loving it, man. Yeah, I, I noticed the flow as well. And the implied move on Tesla was a little high for, you know, naked naked options slinging around to be super profitable. Uh, I mean, selling straddles would have been a different a different world, I would imagine. But uh, curious, uh, Kirsten, how are you feeling now that the numbers have dropped? Great. It's looking awesome. Tesla, Tesla continues to surprise us in a positive way. So Raj, I, I am a little more curious moving forward as well, how you think this is going to play out. So I, I shared something a few slides back at the top of the space here uh, regarding the, how Tesla's reacted around and after earnings. We've got the last four earnings reports in that. It looks like it is third from the right for those of you listening in. And it, it's showing, you know, a number of days after earnings and the day of earnings. Looking at, you know, more frequently an upward movement kind of going into the second day, the third day following earnings. How do you think that's going to play out here? Because we're seeing a really, really dramatic, uh, a really dramatic reaction in after hours today. And so I'm curious, kind of how, how's everyone feeling about the stock price moving forward, especially, you know, keeping it in consideration how Tesla's going to handle the digital self, for example. I just want to say really quickly that I feel like every quarter Tesla blows expectations out of the water. The market doesn't respond appropriately and it takes a couple of days, which I always hear about the three day rule. But I mean, I'm looking forward to see how the stock responds. And I know everybody who's on this call pretty much will will continue to hold and continue to to believe in this company and and everything. But I'm really interested to see interested to see how the trading plays out into, uh, you know, into early next week. So one thing I'm curious about, and this is to the whole panel, anyone and everyone but I am curious how you think moving forward they'll handle the digital sell of assets and earnings. If they held their Bitcoin, I would say there was a good chance they would have uh, missed their expectations. If they, I'm not sure when they sold Bitcoin, but if they held it to the bottom, they would have another $300 million impact to the free cash flow. So I think they did a great job on Bitcoin. Even though I'm not long Tesla directly, I think they did this in a fantastic way. But to be honest, if they never bought Bitcoin, it would be the best outcome. But again, you can't go back in the past to change it, right? So. Yeah, I, I agree with Gergavin there. Uh, I mean, great decision on that part. And, you know, someone else mentioned Elon is so smart, man. He's got everything kind of he's like forced up ahead of the average person. And, you know, opening up these new factories, taking into consideration the what ifs of the world and what if science to China, he's got every base is covered. And by him getting rid of those digital assets, like Gavin said, put him ahead of the game a little bit. I mean, we don't know when he sold it, but if he did any time in the last month, he did a lot better than buying, I mean, selling it at the bottom here. So great call on getting rid of those digital assets for sure. So on that note, and not really on that note, I just kind of want to pivot here to kind of how options were flinging around during the week. We've got, you know, one of the main 
flow riding flow homies here kind of the one name that comes up anytime i think of flow I might be a little biased there so like did you see anything at all interesting kind of coming through for tesla during the week or was it just kind of white noise like we sometimes see with really liquid options chains that's funny uh I went on stream today and I actually, like, as soon as I logged on, I was like, all right, I'm just going to add, like, the exclude Tesla from results filter. Um, so, no, I haven't really seen anything much for Tesla. Honestly, I think it's a little bit too noisy to trade, uh, especially, like, during, as everyone's been bitching, is, like, a pretty, uh, like, hyped earnings call. Um, and as you can see right now, it hasn't really moved that much. Like, there was, like, an initial, uh, like, an initial spike that, made everyone kind of happy um but it's kind of given up some of its gains uh so it looks like people that just play the volatility may be the ones profiting here uh or who sold or who shorted volatility rather um it's only up about 1.8 percent right now after hours obviously price action overnight will dictate kind of where the options uh premiums lie tomorrow but uh at the moment it seems that uh theta gang is gonna win yeah, definitely worth noting that implied move. I think Tesla's implied move was 7.5% or yeah, something like that. Yeah. And we're looking at around 2% move now. So, yeah, Theta Gang. You had something, yeah. Investor? Yeah, I was going to say, I was keeping a close eye on the active chains. Um, and if you guys just look at the active chains on Tesla, literally everything that's there, a lot of it are for tomorrow's expiry, and a lot of it's right down the middle, literally 50-50 on bullish to bu uh, bearish premium on almost every strike, 800, 750, 700, 740, it's straight down, straight down the middle, man. Really hard to decide which way this was, this thing was going to go. Um, so, yeah, definitely the safest play here was to kind of stay on the sidelines. So just kind of a, a bit of a pivot. Now that we've got earnings out, we talked a little bit about the numbers. They look, I mean, really good, obviously. That reaction kind of speaks for itself. I'm curious about everybody's uh, opinion on the stock split and how they think that's going to function. Jason, do you have a comment on that? Not really. I mean, I think stock split, I, I think they're doing a, what, three to, a three to one stock split, right? That's the latest one. Uh, yeah, I was three to one. Larger, I was hoping for a larger one, kind of like Emmett Peppers, you know, like, like a 20 to one or something. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have any thoughts on it. I mean, maybe it'll just make the stock, you know, there's a few benefits to to doing a split, I mean, it means that employees can get more shares. You know, it's it's actually better for the morale to have more shares rather than like ten shares or something. You know, for their compensation, it makes the stock cheaper, more you know perceived as being uh, less expensive to retail investors, and there's a, a bunch of other benefits. But like, I mean, it doesn't really impact anything long term. But um, you know. So I guess yeah. I noticed as well, you mentioned you wish it was, was a little higher. Do you think that that a three-to-one split is too small to really appeal to, to the retail investors? Or do you think that's sufficient enough to get more interest in purchasing? I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think it'll definitely uh, – I have a lot of friends here in L.A. and they, they, they think Tesla is expensive because it's almost $1,000 a share. But it's, so I think some people will buy more shares, but I, I really don't think it's going to have much of an impact um, you know, on the market cap or, you know, I just, it's not, I don't really have any strong opinions about it, to be honest. It's, it's not that important. Fair um, enough. I'll, yeah. uh, I do want to pivot on the same chain of thought here to Joey or K10. Do we think that the split itself is more of, you know, beneficial to the board or are they benefiting shareholders 
directly in doing the split, or does it seem kind of like a game from the board uh, to kind of continue a Tesla rally, like secondary benefits of a stock split? I think it would, if it was more about the retail investor, it would be a bigger split just because I think a lot of the narrative from just retailers and people interested in Tesla and, you know, people in the community, there was talks of really high ratios, 20 and 25 to one. And uh, so I think I think if it was more about the retail investor, it would be a little bit larger of a split. Um, it would make the price per share a little lower. But yeah, I think this is more about the board and less about the retail investor. Ketan, any comments? How do you, would you agree with Joey there? So, yeah, I'd say go back to what Jason was stating. It's more about the, I mean, honestly, I take this as the employees getting in for their incentives with the stock. Um, People were throwing around the number 20 because in 2020, Tesla skyrocketed so big when they divided it by five. You know, it was a number that was down. We, I mean, we were expecting it just to take off, but we see recession and inflation right now. So it's like a, it's a, it's a less of a split. It's a three instead of so high, in my opinion. And kind of since we're also, you know, discussing whether or not this is beneficial to, you know, shareholders or to be shareholders, I am curious about a pretty big wide sweeping topic that obviously comes up whenever Tesla's discussed and that's the the notion of Elon risk. So like as as a lot of people know there's been volatility surrounding Tesla's shares regarding actions or antics or tweets etc with Elon. Do we do we give a lot of credence to that? Is that anything that could be problematic for Tesla moving forward, whether whether or not the stock split stays at three to one, kind of irregardless of that? Is Elon risk something that, you know, is going to maintain reality for the stock long term? I, I think one good example of that would be kind of the whole Twitter snafu that's going on, like the deal. Is it going through? Is it not going through? There's a lawsuit. About it. Does this have any bearing long term for Tesla or is Elon Musk just... Elon Musk's risk just kind of fluff and distraction. I think that Elon actually, Elon will be Elon. He's going to do, he's going to always tweet a lot of crazy stuff. And in doing so, he kind of suppresses the, the stock price a little bit because he scares off a lot of um, investors. But um, what happens is I think the, art, the stock gets artificially uh, deflated for long periods of time because he's just saying a lot of crazy stuff on Twitter and people are afraid to invest. Institutions are afraid to invest because they think he's, they, they, they just, they're not comfortable with Elon. But eventually, um, you can't ignore these numbers. I mean, we, we're, these, these numbers today are incredible. You can't ignore the fact that Tesla's you know, ramping up two factories in Berlin and uh, in Austin. And just eventually, you know, the stock will reflect reality. And when it does, it has these massive run-ups and then the and then people everyone tries to follow into that trade and then the stock price ends up being higher. So this is actually what anti fragility is. I think I think Elon, like his behavior, actually drives the stock price down in the short run. But in the long run, his behavior actually I think increases the stock price. Like I could be wrong, but that's my theory. I think he's like the most anti fragile CEO ever. Like he just he knows. I don't think he's doing this intentionally, but. Um, that's that's what I see. So, Tech AU, thanks for joining us. Since we're on kind of the topic in general, how do you feel about the numbers that just released for Tesla? Given your you know expertise, excuse me, in tech and EVs, how does uh how does Australia feel about these numbers, my man? Thanks for joining us. Not a problem at all. Yeah, really positive. Uh, obviously, the room is very excited by it, and I am too. And I would just add to the the fact that you know Tesla are always adding new markets as well, and 
we're just getting the Model Y launching in Australia now. So it's a sort of a very exciting development for us. And I think that goes underrated by a lot of people that, you know, they're not done in terms of their expandability across countries. Sorry, I was sharing something regarding the past conversation we just had about uh, Elon's effects potentially on uh, equity and crypto markets. There were a few studies that Unusual Whales released uh, a little while ago, back in May, uh, regarding Elon's tweets influencing the price of Tesla. I got that shared at the top here if anybody wants to check that out. Data seems to suggest they do. Uh, there's a lot of points on there. Uh, kind of very directly outlining almost the perfect correlation between the timing of the tweet and the movement of the stock. Uh, kind of curious how that's going to go forward as well, especially with all the, the craziness around the, the Twitter acquisition situation. So I'm curious as well. We're getting a couple of new speakers sneaking up in here. Small cap scientist, expert, all things crypto. How are you feeling about Tesla selling Bitcoin? <laughs> we had a brief discussion about that earlier. Happy to circle back. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so I'm pretty miserable, to be honest. <laughs> so I, I, I'll, be, I'll be the first that like, everyone in here might be mad at me, but I, was, I actually have a Tesla short position going into this, and it was mainly due to uh, Bitcoin, honestly, like I, I have been watching their balance sheet, like kind of kind of knew that they were in some trouble, figured they didn't get a chance to sell uh, before some of like the Luna UST stuff really blew up our markets. And I figured they would be caught holding the bag. But I mean, um, per normal, I think Elon outsmarted most people. Um, they got out of that position early enough. Um, they sold 75% of it to cash, which I think uh, in the end is a huge win. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they buy some of it back um, at lows, but we'll, we'll kind of see how that goes. Honestly, I think it's pretty pretty bearish for crypto, but also like I think the model of holding Bitcoin on your balance sheet was flawed to begin with. Um, I, I think it allows like you to open up a lot of your actual holdings to manipulation. Like set it going into the end of Q2 when you see some of these large investors like the Bill Gates, the Buffets, the Michael Burries of the world. Um, if they have these like billion dollar short positions on Tesla, like it's a lot easier to manipulate down some like low liquidity Bitcoin and like it, it definitely affects the stock price of Tesla. So like, like I think holding a large amount on your balance sheet is, is um, just bearish in general. Um, but like, I, I think candidly, I, I was expecting them to kind of be caught holding, holding that position. So um, good for them that honestly they got out of it in time and um, excited to see kind of, what comes of it, but so that brings to me to a kind of like a crashing. Yeah, <laughs> fair. I, it brings me to a wider question as well, and this can be open to the whole panel. Uh, so please chime in. Uh, so Elon clearly does have big effect on markets. I think we've seen enough data, the unusual whales report, to support that claim. Uh, but I would say this kind of changes the idea of crypto on balance sheets and the outlook for crypto, kind of like on retail, given Elon's influence, etc. How does the panel feel about that? Does this change things moving forward for the, the potential of companies having crypto on their balance sheets? I mean, I, I personally think like it's a tough idea to have it on your balance sheet until an ETF is approved, um, a, a spot ETF, that is. So, I mean, they have futures right now, but I mean, like, I think it opens up uh, you to a lot of negative possibilities. Like, you look like a genius when you're holding Bitcoin and the price is flying, but um, as soon as like you get into a bear market, like it, it is a ton of negative press. Um, and I think we even saw that coming into this earnings, like the articles just written about them having that position. 
Um, I, I think it makes it extremely hard to hedge. Um, it brings uncertainty to stock. I really think a spot ETF, um, which the SEC keeps shutting down, is needed before it makes a lot of sense to have it on the balance sheet. But that's just my opinion as well. Would love to hear from some of the other speakers. Bergman had your hand up. Do you have a comment on yeah, that as well? It's, it's not on that, but it's about Tesla. So the free cash is one million, but the number number is out now. They sold Bitcoin for nine hundred and thirty-six million. If they did not sell any Bitcoin, they would have a negative free cash flow. So suddenly, a great earnings have turned into not so great earnings. This is on. This can only be used once, because they have deployed. 75% of the Bitcoin holdings to boost their free cash flow for only one quarter. Do you know what the price was that they sold at? Just curious, like 75%. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't have it. United Airlines just reported earnings and the EPS is terrible. They reported 143 and the market wanted 188. But now let me try to find the Bitcoin selling price for all Tesla. I don't think they reported that. They just reported the number which was $936 million. And yeah, that's all I'm seeing as well. I'm not seeing the exact price per Bitcoin. So this is 150% of the free cash flow. So 936, let's get the free cash flow without the Bitcoin selling. So 936 minus the free cash flow, which was $621 million. So if Tesla had not sold a single Bitcoin, they would have a negative $315 million free cash flow number for the last quarter or so. Which is That'd be kind of wild. Yeah, which would be the first loss since 2020 March quarter or so. Insane. Oh. No, my bad, my bad. No, you're fine, you're yeah. fine. So that's almost... Uh, that would be the free. That would be the uh, first free cash flow loss in over one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine quarters. So that would send them back two years just for one quarter. Though, so massive, massive thing to look at for Tesla. So, kind of in regards to free cash flow, it's possible that there kind of was a, a premonition of sorts uh, for a macro environment in that Bitcoin world, trying to boost themselves just in case of larger macro effects going on, but. Just because we're kind of on the topic, we spoke about the recession earlier. Do we think that that's why Tesla did that to kind of boost their free cash flow? Jason or Kirsten, I'm curious how you feel about that. Or Kirsten. Sorry if I've been saying your name wrong this whole time. It's Kristen, but no. Yeah, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think that they, they just saw what was happening. We, we ultimately, you know, we don't really know why they sold 75%, but I'm guessing it's just like to, you know, decrease risk. I mean, there's a lot of risk in Q2 too, so maybe they made a good judgment call there and and you know we thank zach for that um zach is great so really we're really lucky to have him as a as a cfo um but uh yeah i think like you know i'm just happy they did because if they didn't the impairment loss would yeah it would <laughs> the quarter would look very different if they had uh it, what's interesting is their margin their operating margin i think the street uh the consensus was 11.8%, but now it's like 14.6%. That's their actual operating um, margin for the quarter, which is pretty dope. So, um, you know, if they, if they didn't have that impairment, uh, I mean, if they, if they had the, the impairment that we were expecting, you know, the $500 million, $470 million uh, write down, then that operating expense would be much, much higher. Um, and the operating margin would be <laughs> significantly lower. So that was, yeah, that was, uh, 
that was probably the biggest surprise of this this earnings release is the, the selling of 75% of their, their Bitcoins. Do you think that it, it would be out of the realm of possibilities that this is something that Tesla as an entity repeats in the future? Do you think that they would ever kind of dip their toes in that crypto world again, uh, rather than just kind of sit on the 25% of their previous position they held? Do you think they're going to dip back into that? Or do you think this is kind of game over for that line of investing for Tesla? I have no idea. I, I think they might dip into it a little bit, but um, yeah, I really don't know. I mean, I have no idea. I'm seeing some numbers that it's about 29K is where they, where they sold. I'm trying to do some math and confirm it, but that means they, they didn't avoid all of it. And, and I believe that was near where they bought in as well. So um, it would just be an almost wash. Like it's, it's, as they started going underwater, they might have started to offload. Yeah, no, what Ross, I, welcome back, yeah, man. I, Thanks I, for coming back. Hey, no, I just wanted to come back and, you know, finish up or whatever, because what a great group of people. But, um, you know, they had a sell stop on it. That's clear. They sold it 9% down. That's very common. For trading strategies, you just put a stop. If we're down ten percent, we we sell, and that's it. Looks like what they did, and I think that's smart. Um, they got a lot of heat for having this investment, and you know, obviously, if they're not making a return and they're getting a lot of heat, it, it seems like the smart thing to do. Um, that said, you know, it certainly isn't the leadership that I'm sure the Bitcoin people are going to be thrilled about. But you know, they got to do what's best for the company. And I wanted to pitch it back toward uh, Joey, kind of how you're feeling about what the other panelists are saying. Do you kind of wholeheartedly agree? Is there anything that's not resonating with you? I liked what Jason said a lot. I don't know what Tesla will do about crypto in the future. Just my own personal thoughts. I would think that they would probably be a little more hesitant to dive into it. Um, I know it was a very good investment opportunity early. They made... I mean, their initial investment was 1.5 billion. By the time 2021 ended, it was up to they had gained half a uh, half a billion dollars on their investment. So it has some positives, but I mean, there was talk of them accepting it for for products, and I, uh, you know, that happened. But then that got pulled away because of the environmental concerns, and you know, obviously, there's more sustainable ways to mine any sort of crypto. Um, but after all, this is a company that's focused on environmental sustainability. And that was a smart move. Um, but I think that personally, I, I'm kind of happy to I'm, I'm kind of happy the Bitcoin stuff has kind of cooled down. I just think there was a lot of very strange, not strange, but there was a lot of varying opinions on it. Just you got a lot of different perspective on it when it first happened and and as the investment kind of matured. But. I think it's probably, in my opinion, just best just because of the stability of the whole thing. Um, but yeah, I, I have no inclination what, you know, which way they'll go in the future with it. I'd say that's fair. And, and it, it, it has to be hard to tell because I, I know aside from kind of Elon hinting at it and talking about it quite a bit, I, I didn't fully, you know, from a personal stance, expect them to buy so deeply into Bitcoin in the first place. Um, just kind of pivoting from that specific discussion, since we got Ross back, uh, we talked earlier about the Elon risk, the notion that, you know, Elon himself is kind of a risk to equities, share prices. Unusual Whales had a really good report about how Elon's tweets absolutely do appear to affect the stock price. Uh, Ross, you've spoken about this at length, I believe, and I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on that as a whole. I don't look at it as Elon risk. I don't think that's fair. I mean, I, Elon's, you know, done an amazing job and made me and my 
company hundreds of millions of dollars and and his he works obviously a ridiculous amount and he's an incredible asset i think the risk is you know behavioral when you're a genius and you are very very off the spectrum you know or on the spectrum you know normal behavior is not something you should expect from a genius and and i think that that's foolish and i think people on wall street are very very scared of entrepreneurs and geniuses because they're so straight laced and they don't really get it. You know, they don't. Now I, on the other hand, work a lot in the music industry and I work with many people who are crazy. And when you work in the music industry, people like Elon Musk seem very normal actually. And so like what wall street thinks is crazy behavior is not crazy behavior from like an LA perspective. So when you handle artists and you deal with artists, people like Elon are like easy, you know, like he's quirky. He says things people might not like sometimes or whatever or off the cuff, but you know, whatever, that's not the risk. The market will follow where the money is being made. I think the bigger Elon risk is his health. And I think the pictures that came out this week from his vacation showed the risk to his health. He is in horrible shape. And I literally spend, I'm the same age as Elon, and I spend an hour a day focused on my health, whether it's yoga, working out, surfing, boogie boarding, riding my bike, you know, like I want to live to a hundred and I want to look good doing it too. And so like, you're doing a damn good job so far, Ross. Thanks, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. You know, I'm actually at the lowest weight I've ever been as an adult. And so like, Congrats, man. Let's go. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to post any shirts off photos, but, you know, I'm pretty proud of it. And um, because, you know, I was probably 15 pounds heavier last year. But, like, that's what Elon needs to do. You know, he needs to take care of him. I worry about his health. I mean, like, like, I'm trying to buy a house right now, and it's so damn stressful. It's a nightmare. I mean, these banks are a nightmare. It's like, I mean, I literally have no debt. And it's like, you're kidding me, right? And they just run you through the ringer and I'm working and this and that. And it's stressful. Now I'm like, oh, I run SpaceX. I run Tesla. I, I'm shooting rockets to space. I got nine kids. I got four wives. You know, I'm like, dude, how the heck does he deal with it? I don't know. I don't know. And, and I'm under enormous stress right now. And I'm like, dude, I don't know how he deals with it. And that's my concern. You know, I'm over 50 and he is too. And, and he's not healthy, and, you know, you can have a heart attack. It happens. And so I'm, I'm curious, since we're still on the topic of Elon risk, what, uh, what, what are you feeling regarding the whole Twitter situation? How risky is that for Tesla's share price in general? Just curious from your perspective. You know a lot about this, and uh, I'm just wondering how you're feeling. Well, you know, I was not happy that Elon was trying to buy Twitter. I mean, that, that was, like, really dumb from the perspective it was well outside of his real skill set as an engineer, you know, running a communications and media company is a very, very different experience than running a technology company. And um, so he got himself into a real, real, you know, nasty area. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of happy, you know, in the end that it fell apart and he's, he's not going to be CEO of Twitter because that doesn't help Tesla at all. It just doesn't help. Like, all the politics stuff, it just doesn't help Tesla. So the fact that it's falling apart and, you know, whatever ends up happening, he'll probably end up 
losing a substantial amount of money on this, but, but like he kept Tesla out of it, you know, thank God, you know, Tesla isn't involved. He didn't use Tesla to acquire Twitter. He used his own money and sold Tesla shares to do it. And that protected us. And so from a Tesla shareholder perspective, I'm thrilled the deal isn't working out and he's moving on and he can refocus himself on Tesla, but he's still got, you know, a lot of time in court and a lot of money to spend before this is over. But, but hopefully that'll keep him focused on Tesla forever on into the future. Okay, Ted, how are you feeling about the Twitter situation? Were you kind of hoping uh, the deal would go through or are you also glad that it kind of fizzled out the way that it did? Wow, it was just wild. Um, I'm not surprised to see that it's taking the turn it is. Um, I think we're all shocked just how much money was put down for it. Uh, like we, like people always say, Elon knows what he's doing. I think we can sit and think maybe he made a guffaw, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of excited to see what comes of this, what's revealed. So, Jason, how do you feel about the Twitter deal, man? Kind of sitting long term with Elon and Tesla, does that have any bearing whatsoever on you or other long term investors? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually I see where Ross is coming from. I mean, as a Tesla investor, I, I didn't like it, but actually as a as a you know American citizen, I'm very pro speech and like pro free speech. I think that Elon is done with free speech. Even if the titter, Twitter Twitter <laughs> Twitter deal falls through, um, you know, which it probably will. I, I tweeted about I tweeted something about this like around the time Elon first um, was involved, getting involved with acquiring Twitter, I said, Elon usually tries to exist or change or take over an existing industry. And he goes as far as he can. He pushes, he pushes, he tries to buy CBMs from Russia or he tries to, you know, do something. And he gets, he, re- he has, until a point where he um, receives so much resistance that he just abandons that effort and he abandons changing or, or working with within with the existing players and start something from scratch first principles and so i think that he's doing the same thing with social media like he he tried to acquire twitter twitter and change it but he's getting so much resistance he's like you know fuck this like i'm gonna start my own um you know he might he might not start like a twitter like app but something like whatsapp or i think he will he'll get involved with this in some way we just don't know what that is yet um but he's just because he's finished with possibly finished with Twitter doesn't mean he's finished with uh, like a, some kind of free speech platform or some type of messaging app or something. So, well, he's, he's also still a 10% owner of Twitter. He didn't sell his stock. So, you know, right. he certainly can still be involved in some way if he wants to be. But I also think he didn't get involved with this just as a personal whim. I think he did this for the good of people. And he just exactly. like walked into like this nightmare that he was like, well, well, this is way worse than I thought. And I think, the <laughs> yeah. trans- I think the transparency he's bringing to Twitter, it's great. You know, so if he's willing to go through this pain and suffering, it's obviously a disaster in, in what he saw from the data. And, you know, and I trust that he's making the right decision. So I sold my Twitter stock and I moved on because it's just like, you know, it's a broken company, clearly. So I do want to kind of pivot from there. We have another new speaker, Basant, really big in the Indian markets. My man, you wanted to talk a little bit about how you're feeling about Tesla. How are you feeling, Basant? Uh, hi, everyone. So it's a great thing listening to you guys there. So I think my broad call on Tesla would be, A, whether you want to believe that Elon would be increasing production capacity and deliveries by 50% CAGR. He said this and he's done it in the past. The only thing is he's been delayed a few times because of COVID and other things. B, is he adding capacity big enough to do this? 
and see where is the waiting period in Tesla. So I was in US for about a month, about uh, two months back doing a road trip. And you could see Tesla here and there. And there's a five, six month delivery time. So if you want to book a Tesla, it takes four, five, six months for you to get your Tesla. So I would wait to sell my Tesla till the delivery time comes to about a week. I think this is a broad call and I would like Ross's view on these three things. And Ross, you mentioned very correctly, geniuses are supposed to be eccentric. Geniuses cannot behave like us. So I think he just wakes up one day, he tweets something and then he realizes, oh, what have I done? And then he says, okay, let me see whether I can do what I've done. Because I know how people are when they are really, really nice and forgetful, they are eccentric, they take quick decisions and then they move on in life. So you you can you can be an eccentric but if you're a very quick decision maker it kind of sorts it out so i would like to know whether this is the right way to look at tesla for the next three four years whether they are adding capacity and whether the delivery period and the delivery time is coming down from five months to say maybe two weeks is this the right way to go about it uh you know tesla delivery times and pretty variable depending and I, I think there's people just trying to flip Teslas none, nonetheless too. So I, I, I don't see that being alleviated anytime soon because of the huge demand supply imbalance until next year, really until next year. So anybody who gets a hold of a new Tesla is kind of like making money because they could resell it for a couple thousand more if they wanted to. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm not sure where you're going with this, but I, you know, I, I don't think there's going to be, much, you know, slack in demand for quite some time. So, so which means that they can just produce and sell. It doesn't take so much yeah. money to set up a new factory. So I think Wall Street is, is pretty much like what I, I think our, my market here in India, the last street is pretty much like Wall Street. The analysts get salaries and investors get to make retirement funds. So analysts won't actually come out and upgrade the stock till they think that they have actually performed. So the gap is there. And I think Wall Street will always be behind. And the day Wall starts matching Tesla on what they would actually deliver would be the day where Tesla would be fully valued. My personal sense is 2025, 2026, the stock should be fully valued, not before that. Because by that time, everything would be off the shelf. Till the time there is something unclear, Wall Street wouldn't go and, I mean, value it the way it should be. This is my sense of the entire thing. So I'm, I am curious about the entire panel's opinions on a few things. We've got the earnings numbers out. We've got, we've got references to previous earnings. I'm curious about Tesla's other promises that they've made as, as all of you know i mean there's the infamous cyber truck that was announced in 2019 still holding on that but they had its best quarter in residential solar but solar roof development was still really slow um along with that they've also promised like the robot fleet a full fsd uh autonomous helper robot as well for example which i think would be pretty sick i'm tired of doing them damn dishes you know but uh how do we feel about those things moving forward do you think we're going to have you know precedence from the promises made or would there be new promises will the current promises be kept i'm curious what you all think of that um personally i would really like to see some development with the cyber truck and the semi i'm biased because i want to see those things on the road um personally 
I would like to see also less talk of more future products until the products that we've been waiting for for some for for years now come out. Um, I think that was a big reason for the essential pause and the product roadmap and the, and the product development for the year, just because it's going to be pretty tough to release, build, and deliver a new product in, in these conditions currently. Um, and that's totally acceptable to, you know, to delay other projects like the Cybertruck and the Semi for a little bit more time, just because uh, obviously demand has outgrown this company's ability to supply for now. Um, and they need to take care of the, the order log that they have, and they will do that. Um, you know, as previously mentioned, Texas and Berlin ramping well, Shanghai back to, you know, normal operations, Fremont's doing well as well. Um, once a three in the Y backlog, I think gets taken care of and delivery dates kind of come back as supply chain gets figured out. Um, I would like to see those two products. Like I said, it's more of a personal thing, but I also think that a lot of people are just waiting for those cars to be on the road. K10, do you have any opinions there? I mean, I agree with what Joey said. I think we're all looking forward to our orders of our Cybertruck and um, there's Roadster orders, things like that. Uh, it, it sounds like next year that it's promised to have to see, see the Cybertruck come out, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see more growth towards the batteries and maybe even another gigafactory. I think Tesla is trying to exponentially grow, not just continue to manage what they've got. So Beautiful. Thank you. And kind of like more specifically on, on, you know, Tesla's plans to expand charging networks to, you know, other cars, the power wall, and obviously, I mean, the solar, like they mentioned that make Tesla just more than a car company, for example, how do we see Tesla capitalizing on this in the future? So like, for example, with, you know, universal charging stations, is there anything that you think that Tesla will do to capitalize on that outside of just making it universally available? Because I am, I am really curious, like, with the superchargers being universally available, like, currently they kind of have that on lock in a big way. Most of the charging stations you see around are pretty specific to Tesla. Will, will making charging stations available to all, including competitors, et cetera, hurt them at all in the future, do you think? Joey, I'm curious your thoughts on that specifically, as well as Ross. Yeah, I mean... I think that there is going to be sort of growing pains when it comes to when they can do that in the United States. I think the pilot program in Europe is for now probably just a better region to test that. Um, I think, like I said, I think there will be growing pains initially, but I don't think it's anything they can't overcome. I mean, if the V4 supercharger that's been rumored is going to have CCS report uh, support, um, you know, they also have other brands have plenty of other options for charging. Um, and I still think that a lot of people who are relatively either, either new or just uninformed forget that they can charge their vehicles at home. Um, like I said, I think that supercharging and opening these superchargers up to other manufacturers is a huge step forward. Um, but I think it'll be controlled. I think that there's going to be a lot of research and a lot of data from the Europe pilot program that will translate to just a better overall operation for when Tesla ultimately does open up these superchargers to other manufacturers. I don't think it'll be as, uh, 
as chaotic as some might think. I think it'll be very controlled. Um, but I, I'm excited for it to happen. I think it's just going to really open up the floodgates for this EV adoption moving forward. Thank you much. Does anyone else have any opinions on that? Do you think that it's good overall for Tesla to open these superchargers to everybody? Or should should Tesla focus more on the autonomy of their own, kind of their own accessibility to charging? I, I think personally that it's probably good, you know, universally to make sure that everyone has access to this, this especially that he regularly touts is to kind of make the earth a greener place, kind of focusing on, you know, climate change in that vein. Uh, beneficial overall for sure, but is it really beneficial for the company itself to open up everything like that to competitors? Basant, I'm curious about your perspective as well from, you know, from a kind of a global point of view. Uh, I would like to say that the return on capital wouldn't be so high on superchargers. It's a distraction if you look at it from a very 30,000 view. But unless you have these charging facilities, you can't sell your cars. So you cannot wait for the market to sell up the charging facilities. So I'll give you a small sense. So there's a company called uh, JLR, Tata JLR. So Tata Motors JLR. The Tata company in India bought JLR in 2008. So they are setting up charges through their own unit called the Tata Power across India. So, and the idea is startup power, I don't, think, I don't know how much money they're going to make out of it, but unless you put up these superchargers, people think, well, I can buy this car, but where do I get, where, where do I go and charge it from? So sometimes you have to have a small cost center. It's not exactly a cost center, but then you have to give this facility to sell the big vision through, which is sell your car. So I think we should look at it in that perspective. Ultimately, it's about selling cars, which is, which is going to make money for Tesla and for its shareholders the bots, the superchargers, these other things, uh, some of them are on the shelf. They haven't come out now. But I think uh, it's, it's, it's just that unless you put these charges up, people would say, where do I charge it from? It takes so long. So uh, what do I do about it? So I think it, it should be looked in that perspective that putting up these charges would actually allow them to sell more cars because it removes the question mark of the prospective buyer's head. Yeah, sorry about that. I Somebody called me and it blows up Twitter, I guess. Um, so the supercharger network is going to be one of the most valuable parts of Tesla and opening it up to other charging companies is kind of like a dare where it forces the other EV makers to really consider using Tesla charging uh, as their infrastructure. It's a highly profitable business for them. Uh, Elon mentioned in a tweet that they make about a 10% margin and it's, they seem to be putting them up all over the place. So it's a win for Tesla, the more superchargers they open. But I think the biggest concern among Tesla drivers is that most of the supercharger stations that are in good areas are now really busy. And if I'm opening two more factories of Teslas, they're going to be really busy, these superchargers. And at certain points on like Sundays, on travel days, a lot of superchargers, you have to wait in line now. And I think that's where Tesla customers are concerned. So I think the truth is Elon doesn't want to eliminate his opportunity for subsidies from the get support charging. And then secondly, um, he wants to force the other EV makers to use his standard. And thirdly, I think any uh, use by other drivers of the Tesla infrastructure will be in a way that would benefit them more to own a Tesla than another car. Plus, Tesla could sell lots of adapters and other things to these these other EV owners, many of which would probably end up converting to using a Tesla. 
So one of my secret valuation things inside my Tesla valuation is what's the valuation of their charger network? What's the real revenue? What's the real margins on this thing? And like, when you start thinking about this, like this is a great business for Tesla. So I, I think it's a net real big plus. Say, imagine if Ford owned all the gas stations. Yeah, that's a fair comparison, I'd say. That'd be, that'd be wild. But wouldn't they have a lot of antitrust problem in the future if they own most of the system 10 years from now, Ross? Like, if I'm the government and one company has the monopoly on charging stations, I would like them to break them down 10 years from now. I'm not talking about the year or the next, but a decade you from know, now. You know, funny you say that because... You know, we've been trying to do that to Microsoft for like 20 years and Apple for 10 and Google and Amazon. Actually, the goal of American business is to become a monopoly because you all know the government is going to stop Tesla. They've been trying to stop Tesla. They're still trying to top, stop Tesla. So what Tesla is doing is actually smart tr strategically by monopolizing charging infrastructure. There's plenty of uh, charging competitors and such. And, and just the same, you know, I, I don't cry my eyes out if they get this monopoly, because it'll be hugely valuable to Tesla. But I don't see the government stopping basically anybody. Yeah, I totally agree with Ross on that. And, uh, you know, as an investor, you kind of want to invest in, in monopoly, but a healthy monopoly and a good monopoly, because not all monopolies are good. Some are bad. Some are some are um, entrenched and, and involved with the government and protectionism and and they're not innovating, and they basically squash all competition in a very shady way. But but if, if but if one company is able to produce something better than anyone else and reduce the cost of that thing, so everyone can afford it, like when John D. Rockefeller started making kerosene from oil, everyone could light their homes now. And before it was only rich people who could afford whale blubber to to light their homes. So it's like that was a monopoly, but it improved the lives of everyone because he just was able to use leverage economies of scale to, to manufacture something cheaper than anyone else and improve the lives of, of millions of people. And also when a government is breaking down a monopoly or breaking up a monopoly, they don't really care about breaking up the monopoly. They, they only care about perceived as breaking up the monopoly. So if the monopoly... Um, so they want, they, you know, it's all basically gestures. And, you know, when they broke up Standard Oil in the 1800s, they didn't really, or in the early 1900s, they basically um, broke it up to many companies. But but if you owned a Standard Oil share, now you just own shares in all these companies that were, that were the, you know, that the companies yeah, broke that was like yeah. the AT&T thing. Yeah. And ironically, they broke up AT&T into like 10 companies that all ended up merging back together over the next 10 years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Ross and Jason, look at Kraft and Heinz. Same thing happened with them last 40 years. The companies that they sold, they bought them back after two, two decades with 10 times the price. So even IBM, the amount of spin-offs yeah. that they have is just insane. Yeah. Like whatever yeah, is the biggest business, well. they spin it off. Like, it's just insane. Like, yes. actually, you, you want to own monopolies. Like, actually, you want to own monopolies. Like, there's even a game we play as children called Monopoly. And <laughs> I mean, so... to, be, to be honest, this game was made to make fun of capitalism. That's the funny part. But this game encourages it. So I just laugh at that. I don't think Every it was made to make fun of No, no, no. It was made by a big socialist guy. That was to promote anti-capitalism. Because well, at the end I think of it was the during day, the Great Depression, and, and when I, they made I'm the not game. sure, but the the motto of the game is end of end of the game. One person controls everything, and everyone else goes bankrupt. Right? That's how you end the game. So 
It's kind of ironic <laughs> how people take it these days. So. I, I do love the game, though. One of my favorite games after chess, I would say. But still, that's how they made the game a uh, hundred years ago, so. And I'm out here playing Connect 4, damn. I mean, I love that, too. It's a great game, though. I love Connect 4. <laughs> Let's go. Let's do it. All right, guys. I, I really can't thank all of you enough for being here. I think this is a good place to wrap her up. We hit pretty much every topic we possibly could have. Uh, for those of you that came in late, I showed a tweet to the top of the space here. It wasn't recorded on Twitter because we've been having issues with our spaces lately. We haven't been able to record them for some reason. Twitter essentially just says, nope. So I did stream visuals for this on the Unusual Whales Twitch. You can head over there to catch the recording of this conversation if you missed it. Again, everybody who was a speaker today, go follow them. They're immensely knowledgeable on these topics. I can't thank any of you enough for coming. And obviously, follow Unusual Whales. We're going to be doing this pretty frequently moving forward. At least once a week, we'll have a space like this with really, really intelligent, really well speakers such as those you saw here today. So, again, I, I can't appreciate you guys coming enough. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having us and setting this up. You know, it's super cool that you're doing this and – and I, I find it that the reason I do it is I find it really informative and fun and you've been getting some great people and, and I love the Tesla community. So thank you for doing this. Yeah, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. And I learned a lot and it was great talking to all of you. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks for inviting me as well. I really enjoyed it and uh, listening to all the other speakers and uh, super fun. And hopefully uh, we can. Thanks again. Yes, sir. Thanks, everybody. And to you listeners, make sure you're following all of the speakers that we had. Once again, you're going to miss out on a lot of information if you're not. We had at Holmar's blog here, at Jason DeBolt, Kirsten, excuse me, Kirsten K10, not Kirsten, Kirsten K10. We had Joey Clender, Tesla Raj, Gergovin, of course, Ross Gerber, my man, your input was absolutely crucial. But Basant, thanks for coming. Small cap. Thanks for coming. I appreciate all of you, for real. All right, everybody. Have a good rest of your evening. Thanks for coming, and stay tuned for the next one. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you all for tuning. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank, Thank you. you.